0: Decades of poor research, a broken peer review system, false health and nutrition doctrines, inadequate regulation and a culture dominated by powerful vested financial interests have combined to make the world's supermarkets into minefields of bad information and products that put our health, our lives and our planet at risk. It's time to see beyond the two-for-one offers, the health aura products and the shiny false promises on every shelf. It's time to let the real healing begin. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. is reinventing and the this supermarket. is reinventing the supermarket. supermarket. Today I'm very pleased to welcome Tom Zaki, founder and CEO of TerraCycle. Tom and his company are experts in what's called post-consumer waste. And in terms of the supermarket, that means the leftover packaging from the products you're buying there. Everything from the soap powder box to milk, shampoo and cleaning product bottles, to those plastic pouches full of yogurt that all the children are having these days, and even the coffee pods you might be making your morning coffee with. The supermarket is responsible for a vast amount of trash and wastage in our world, and the focus of Tom Zack and of TerraCycle is to identify the treasure we've invested in that trash and to recycle and upcycle as much as possible so as to relieve the pressure on our planet and its resources. It's a vast task. So where do we even start? Well, Tom Zaki should be able to help us there. He's written some amazing books such as Outsmart Waste and Make Garbage Great. And he and his company have received numerous awards, including from esteemed bodies such as the United Nations and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Importantly, TerraCycle already works with every Fortune 500 packaged consumer goods company. We're going to be discussing some of the fundamental issues around the packaging of supermarket goods and what steps we can take, whether as a shopper or as a brand, to minimise both the short and longer term environmental impact of our personal choices. Very importantly, we're going to talk about how we all need to start thinking a little differently about the packaging we're about to throw away, because in fact, that's only the start of its very long life cycle. We're going to talk about what is recyclable And what isn't? The issues around some different kinds of packaging and also the opportunities that packaged goods brands and retailers have to actually grow their business by understanding the value of recycling. So here we go, my discussion with Tom Zaki of TerraCycle, the things you should know about recycling, what to look for when you buy packaged products, what you need to do about those coffee pods and yogurt pouches, and what steps can you take now to start ensuring the recyclable trash from your grocery shopping re-enters the circular economy. In this episode called The Treasure in Our Trash. We're here to talk about the supermarket and today we specifically want to talk about the waste that's coming from all of the products that are being bought in supermarkets around the world. And I really couldn't think of anybody better to start this discussion with than Tom Zaki. Tom Zaki, maybe it's pronounced Zaki, is the founder and CEO of TerraCycle, which is an international leader in the collection and repurposing of difficult-to-recycle post-consumer and post-industrial waste. Tom and the work of TerraCycle are actually of vital interest to the Reinventing the Supermarket project because they're already working with many of the world's largest consumer product companies which contract with TerraCycle to collect and recycle products and packaging that they produce. Tom is actually the author of a number of books, their uh, Revolution in a Bottle, Outsmart Waste, Make Garbage Great And you'll find links for these on the page uh, for this podcast. Tom also has a TV show called Human Resources. He's a bit of a rock star, I think, out there in the world of recycling. Uh, And actually TerraCycle and Tom, between them, have over 100 awards. And some of the awards they've received come from pretty spectacular places like the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and the US Environmental Protection Agency. So, Tom, I'd really like to welcome you. It's, it's pretty exciting to get to talk to you about garbage.
1: No, uh, thanks for having me. I really look forward to the conversation.
0: <laughs> I really look forward to it, too. I Actually, it's taken me a long time to realize that as a brand strategist, I've spent most of my career creating stuff that would spend the vast majority of its life cycle as garbage.
1: That's right. You know, when we really think about products, um, uh, especially consumable products, which is the most common product you see in a supermarket, they're exceptionally linear. You know, they get produced, they show up in the supermarket uh, for a very short period of time, uh, then uh, we buy them, and in a very short period of time, those products end as waste uh, and then live in that form, uh, if you will, for thousands of years until uh, something hopefully breaks them down.
0: It's really scary and in fact I think the supermarket is one of the really enormous sources of garbage when you think about it. Uh, I think if we could begin to heal the supermarket just in terms of the waste that it's producing and what's being done with that waste in the life cycle of the products, we could have a pretty big impact on the world.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that you know there, there's two ways or really three ways to fundamentally solve waste. Uh, the first way is the most challenging to the business community, which is for consumers to purchase differently. Ideally, not to purchase as much as they purchase, but then if they do, purchase things that don't produce waste. So that would be like buying uh, apples and potatoes at a supermarket, uh, not in a plastic bag, and definitely not pre-processed or pre-packaged.
0: I actually just have to jump in and say that a lot of what I'm doing in this project is actually about healthy nutrition. So that fits exactly perfectly with the whole notion of shopping for things that tend not to have
1: barcodes on them in the first place. Well, you're absolutely right, and what's beautiful about that is not only is it healthier, uh, for yourself and your body, it's also significantly healthier for the planet because that product not only doesn't have the packaging, but doesn't have all the processing that went into it to get it there, which also takes tremendous energy, use, and, and so on. Now, the, the second thing to do uh, to eliminate waste uh, in the uh, shopping experience is to redesign the products themselves. Uh, so that they don't produce waste. That would be moving from disposable uh, packaging production to durable packaging production and so on. Now, the challenge right. with that is two things. One is that there's a, usually a big inertia. You know, uh, big consumer product companies have massive factories that they've built that they really need to make sure they really amortize and they get all the production out of it before they change the design completely. And Usually, if you move to more circular packaging, you also tend to increase the cost of the package, which then has a direct effect on the price of the product to consumers.
0: Could you just briefly explain for, for people, particularly shoppers who may not have heard the term before, what do you mean by circular package?
1: Absolutely. So um, today we live in a world of linear packaging design and, and product design, frankly. Um, what we mean by linear is that the product begins somewhere in the earth. It's extracted, uh, You know whether it's making aluminum or plastic or cottons. Uh, you take stuff out of the earth and uh, uh, farm it and, uh, or mine it and refine it. Then that is produced into the product, which then we as consumers buy and use. And after we're done using it, ironically, typically only once, then it ends up as waste. And that's a very linear uh, process, basically, extraction, use, and disposal. Circular means that the stuff that ends up as waste isn't waste, but that uh, material becomes the input to the same product or a new product, allowing that material to only be extracted once, but circularly go around many, many, many times, ideally infinitely, uh, though the more times around the circle, the more times you avoid the need of new materials being extracted in the first place. And that's the whole concept of this word circular economy uh, or, or circular design.
0: I actually really love the story of how you got TerraCycle started in the first place and how you you were using basically worm poop as your product and putting it into uh, used pop bottles i guess it it was primarily in order to sell it so you were actually taking a complete garbage in every sense of the word and repackaging it into something really
1: useful absolutely so TerraCycle began uh, by making uh, the world's first product that was made from and packaged entirely out of waste. And then we ended up selling that to the world's biggest retailers. That's how TerraCycle began. And what it really taught us is that there is so much value in waste. Um, Waste uniquely is something that people are willing to pay to get rid of. So it starts with negative raw material costs. Um, But it has a lot of really unique value because we live in a world where truly people only use things once. And not until uh, all the function uh, or use is gone out of that item.
0: I'm very intrigued about how you actually got big brands, certainly big consumer packaged goods brands and big retailers to actually engage with your process.
1: Also, one of the things we find in the world of sustainability, now TerraCycle, of course, focuses aggressively on waste uh, as our sort of key vertical in sustainability that we focus on. But sustainability is obviously a much bigger topic than just garbage. And the big challenge that a lot of sustainability professionals have, whether they're internal to a big retailer or a big consumer product company, or even external, like, like we are at TerraCycle, is that the way to get a big uh, company to embrace a sustainable topic is actually to show them how it's going to generate value for them on traditional metrics. So what does a retailer care about the most is foot traffic. Right. So if you can show a retailer that by doing a sustainable exercise or in TerraCycle's case, say, um, collecting and recycling waste that they would otherwise not collect and recycle, whether that's a, a Kiehl's boutique collecting cosmetics or a Uh, uh, or a uh, pharmacy collecting aerosol containers or a grocery store uh, collecting toothbrushes, the way to get them really excited about that is not to focus on the sustainability aspect, that's really good that it's there, but to focus on how that's going to drive foot traffic, how that's going to drive consumer loyalty, and how that's going to grow their business better than if they invested those dollars, because it does cost money, into something more traditional like radio advertising. And if you can crack that and focus on that, then suddenly the world will open. And the ability for these programs to grow and scale will be uh, very pronounced.
0: Right. Uh, Absolutely. Supermarkets, as well as brand owners, are extremely focused on the bottom line. They're extremely focused on their revenue. So really, it is about packaging up this entire story of the certainly circular usage of the waste that's out there to try and excite them about how that's going to improve their business.
1: Yes, exactly right. And, you know, it's, it's sort of an ironic dance because you have to, even though that may not be your purpose of existence, You know, TerraCycle's purpose of existence is to uh, collect and recycle, non recyclable packaging, but we have to get very good explaining to brands why this is going to create value for them in a traditional way. And it has to be in a traditional way because the people who fund your project then have to go to someone uh, senior to them to get approval for the budget, and they're going to be asking for it in the context of what the, what the company usually looks for. If it's a brand, they're looking for market share increase. They're looking for sell-through. They're looking for incremental programs being sold into retailers. If it's a retailer, they're they're looking for differentiation, equity gains, and foot traffic. So you have to frame it in that way because if you don't, then you'll be lucky if you get the program approved. If it is even approved, which would be, again, lucky, it's going to be approved in a modest way. And most likely won't be renewed the following year because you'll, the only way then to make it work is having a champion inside that really believes in your program and fundamentally goes to bat for you uh, beyond uh, the norm.
0: Right. I, I totally agree with that. I think that what I find very interesting, and I'm someone who's spent a lot of years sitting at the table with very big brands who actually can afford to to have... Uh, designated departments and designated people to focus on this kind of an area. Once I uh, realigned my own career to sort of bring my big brand experience down to smaller more medium-sized more local and national level brands to try and help them in the supermarket environment and to help them clean up their act. I find that of course people in in at those level of companies don't have the finances to bring in a lot of expertise. So you're seeing a lot of small and middle-sized companies who uh, and brand owners who really don't have the knowledge at the table. And really, when if you're sitting talking brand strategy, getting recyclability or renewability or uh, any of the sustainability uh, aspects into the agenda in any meaningful way it becomes really really difficult do you have any thoughts on that
1: yes it's it's a massive challenge and in fact i think transpires not even just to the small companies or the medium sized but even to the very large sized companies you know at TerraCycle we work with all the fortune 100 consumer product companies in the world and many of the fortune 100 retailers and if you look at these companies they have tens of thousands of employees Mm. But they have typically one or two people globally dedicated to the concept of sustainability. And in many cases, these people may not even be full time. They may be, you know, the head of operations who has taken on uh, voluntarily to also oversee sustainability. And uh, so sustainability is chronically underfunded, under resourced and, and doesn't have the talent behind it to really make for meaningful uh, 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 outcomes. That is why I think it's really important to sustain, you know, to companies that are providing sustainability services, you know, TerraCycle being one of many examples, is to bring this to help the sustainability team win. And they will win by getting programs that make sense to the company. And what makes sense to the company something that uh, behaves in their classic frame of the world. You know, I was uh, giving a lecture yesterday at a university, and uh, uh, some of the uh, students there uh, were starting or wanted to start sustainable businesses. And they, you know, were thinking that the best way to approach a company is to say this is the right thing to do, so you should do it. And the right. challenge with that approach is that it won't go too far because that is not... That lens that the organizations look on. Now, one approach to that is you could just get depressed and cynical, but the other is to say, accept the world for the way it is and then work within it because that's how change gets created. Now, the one last thing I want to say on this point is that there is a, a deep area of optimism uh, because the world uh, is, it's much easier to start new companies now and especially disruptive companies significantly more than it ever has been in the past. And so one way to do this is to change the large organizations, uh, large retailers, large consumer product companies by um, working with them, but you know, framing it within their, within their context. But the other is to start your own. You know There's great examples of supermarkets all, uh, across Europe uh, where um, they have decided to go uh, to only provide or to have zero packaging and have a completely zero packaging supermarket experience. And they Fantastic, did that by simply, yeah, opening up their own supermarket, because I bet you they would have not been able to convince a traditional supermarket to do that.
0: So I'm wondering how they're selling things like shampoo and hair conditioner, which, you know, these are the things that really are a struggle. You know, there's so much wet packaging, wet stuff that people need to bring from the from the supermarket. And these actually the wet goods are one of the real struggle areas because they are the ones that create the most durable and non-biodegradable packaging.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, cosmetics are a great example of, uh, of a category where most of the objects uh, in it are not recyclable. But, you know, I think it, it almost doesn't matter. When you look at the overall uh, world of consumer products, very few things are recyclable. What is recyclable are aluminum cans, glass bottles, rigid PET containers like a beverage container, or rigid HDPE containers like uh, perhaps like a fabric care container. All flexible packaging is not recyclable. All multi-layered packaging or multi-polymer packaging is not recyclable. Most things are not. Um, And that has to do primarily with the fact that there isn't value in the packaging. Um, The reason recyclers collect and recycle aluminum cans is because there's value in the aluminum. But the reason Mm -hmm. no one in the world collects and recycles multi-layered packaging like a potato chip bag or a, a candy wrapper is because it costs more to collect and process than it's worth. And so and what's ironic is if you look at the you know the, the way the world is moving today, more and more companies are uh, moving towards lightweighting packaging, uh, and that actually is taking value out of the package, making it less uh, recyclable. so the only way then to solve that is to get companies to voluntarily create programs um, uh, and fund them so that you can collect and recycle these priorly non recyclable objects
0: right, I think I, if I step out to that mind space where you've got brands who are looking at the packaging that they're creating they are very much driven of course by the demand that's coming by people in the supermarkets in the first place uh one of the one of the tenets of my entire reinventing the supermarket project is that in fact if we create the demand and communicate with the brands they will actually begin to shift what they're doing as rapidly as they can for the for as soon as they perceive that there is a shift in demand and one of the things that I see happening is that we have especially in the developed nations we have recycling Uh, bins for instance in a lot of cities so people feel like they are recycling the stuff that can be recycled they're you know they're putting milk bottles out and newspaper and glass bottles and cans are going into the uh, recycling bin can can you talk to me a little bit about that process and where you know how that's sort of affecting what happens because I think there's a whole a whole bunch of other stuff that gets missed in that process. And people are living kind of in a, a, a world where they, shoppers particularly, in a world where they think they probably are recycling everything that can be recycled, but they aren't.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, So there's a number of challenges in, uh, in the world of traditional recycling. The first one is that uh, uh, there's a big difference between what we call diversion and recovery. Um, recovery is what you put into the uh, recycling bin. Diversion is what actually gets recycled uh, by the recycler. And many times you see somewhere between 20 and 50% of what goes in the bin is never recycled because the recycler does not value it. So there's first the challenge of making sure people know what is truly recyclable and putting that in the bin because just because you put it in the recycling bin will not mean in any way that that it will uh, uh, be recycled. The next thing is that, uh, because oil prices are going down so fast, recycling is, uh, as an industry, the global industry, is getting really challenged uh, because it's much harder to compete against the, uh, the price of virgin plastic, which is what recycling competes against, as the value of oil gets cheaper and cheaper. So, in fact, today, globally, recycling rates are going down uh, quite a bit. And then the, the biggest thing for consumers to realize is that technically, from a science point of view, everything can be recycled. The question is what is profitable to recycle, which is what we typically see in our uh, local council or municipal or even uh, grocery store recycling programs, while everything else isn't. And that's only because there's a need of money to be able to make it uh, recyclable.
0: I just want to jump in there for a second and say, I heard you say this at when I uh, I encountered you last year at the Sustainable Brands Conference in the UK, and it was one of the most exciting things I'd heard, because I have to say that as someone who has sat down a lot over the years with packaging producers, you hear a lot, this cannot be recycled, this cannot be recycled, and and what you're saying is, "Ah, everything can be recycled, it's just a matter of the profitability and the will to recycle it.
1: You got it. Absolutely. I have frankly, and we've invented or developed the recycling solutions for 400 major categories from cosmetics to cigarettes, to chewing gum, you know, to flexible food packaging, you name it. And I have yet to see a waste stream that can't be technically collected and recycled. It simply only comes down to the economics and whether uh, uh, it is economically viable. And what is economically viable? What I mean by that is that the material value of the, of the waste is so valuable that it funds The cost of collecting and processing it is simply five things. Rigid PET, rigid HDPE, which is, again, a beverage bottle bottle or a fabric care bottle as examples. Uncoated paper, glass, and aluminum. Everything else falls into the non-recyclable category because of this economic uh, delta uh, or economic uh, disparity. And the good news in that is that consumers have a big voice because they can either uh, vote for products that are in recyclable packaging by buying them, and not vote for uh, things that are non-recyclable packaging by not buying them. Uh, 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 The other is they could then put pressure on companies uh, that have non-recyclable packaging, encouraging them to do one of two things. Either create uh, programs like what TerraCycle does so that you can now recycle your non-recyclable packaging, or reinvent the package to make it recyclable by infusing value into it. Um, And so consumers are very, very powerful. And the worst thing is consumers feeling like they don't have the power and then passively voting for things that shouldn't exist by buying them.
0: That's so true. One of the big things that I was so impressed by listening to some of your talks and checking out the TerraCycle website is actually that you're recycling the pouches that are being sold with yogurts in them and drinks and things in them. These things are as far as I'm concerned, they're actually bloody horrible. they are really, there have been a bane in terms of uh, developing a very hard-to-deal-with packaging out there, And they, but they've had enormous uptake from shoppers buying them. So uh, can you use that as an example? Because they're very, very tricky things to do something with, those little pouches full of yogurt and drink, and yet TerraCycle's doing something with those yes
1: absolutely um, absolutely you know in uh, 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 as as an example um if you look at the uh, the baby food category um there Baby food used to be packaged relatively recently, frankly, in little glass bottles, which are highly recyclable, and they've moved to pouches almost exclusively, uh, with uh, most brands moving into that new packaging category. Now, why? The first question is always asked, why did they move to pouches, uh, whether it's yogurt or whether it's uh, 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 fruit puree or vegetable puree? The reason is that it's much easier to, to uh, feed a child, especially a baby, from a pouch than it is with a spoon from a glass bottle. It's significantly more user-friendly to the parents uh, who have to deal with it. The challenge, though, is that it moved the product from a recyclable glass jar to a non-recyclable multi-layered sachet. And so that creates now a massive uh, waste uh, problem because these objects are not recyclable. So there are, again, multiple things that can happen. What has happened in this category, and the reason TerraCycle does so much work in collecting and recycling yogurt pouches or uh, baby food pouches with companies like Fonterra or uh, uh, Ella's Kitchen and uh, GoGo Squeeze and others is because consumers have put a lot of pressure on these companies saying we love the new format. It's much easier to use, but we're really upset about the uh, amount of packaging uh, uh, it creates. And so uh, we'd like to see an answer. And these companies have reacted By keeping the pouch, but then forming partnerships with uh, with TerraCycle to be able to collect and recycle them, we've seen the same sort of thing emerge in coffee capsules. You know, coffee capsules are something that consumers uniquely don't like uh, because you know every cup of coffee you get a capsule at the end as waste, and uh, because of that, we have now partnered with most of the world's largest coffee capsule companies, from Dulce Gusto to Nespresso to Tassimo, Illy, others, uh, partly because there's so much consumer pressure on them to create. Uh, recycling programs for these materials, which goes to just how powerful the consumer is. If the consumer votes and says uh, to the companies, you know, we really like this product, but we only want to buy it. If there is a way to recycle it, then the companies will endeavor to put that together. Yes, Vice people, versa. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
0: People who are buying products in supermarkets have, have really got very little idea of the enormous power that they have and that every single purchase that they make every single solitary item is actually helping to shape the environment around them. And it's helping to shape all of the complex systems that sit behind delivering that product. So uh, really one of the messages that I'm trying to get across very powerfully is you have the power every time you shop. And those little choices look very small when you're there but actually it's a radical act in the history of the universe for anybody on and certainly on the history of this planet for anybody to buy something from a supermarket in the first place so you have to recognize the power you have and and start to exercise some personal responsibility about those choices
1: you're absolutely right and this doesn't just go to packaging this goes for example to food nutrition you know in America there's a crisis around uh, obesity just like in Mexico Um, But the real answer is consumers should vote with their dollar not for highly processed sugary products, but for products that are healthier. And then guess what's going to happen? The large consumer product companies and the large retailers will get more in the business of the healthy products and less in the business of the unhealthy ones because their business is not to sell you product A over product B. They're in the business of getting you what you want and selling you more of it. Absolutely right. They
0: will change if we, if we en masse, as the people, change what we're choosing. One of the things I'm very interested in is, and it sounds very strange to a lot of people, I guess, is lids, because... Lids are one of those things on a lot of products where, in fact, solutions are in place for the main body of the product, but the lid seems to be something that even if you feel like you're putting uh, the bottle or the container into the recycling bin, the lid is going into the landfill.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, lids and not just lids, but fixtures like pumps, caps and other things are a tremendous issue for two reasons. One is if you don't take them off, then typically the bottle, uh, which is like glass or PET that it uh, was on, won't be recycled because the recycler moves so quickly in their processing line that they won't be able to remove lids off packages uh, or pumps or triggers or that sort of thing.
0: Most people Um, don't know that, Tom. I speak to people all the time. They don't know to take the lids off.
1: It's critical. Let's just reinforce that for a moment. If you don't take the lid or the trigger sprayer or the pump or the cap off your – you know, uh, pasta sauce, uh, your shampoo bottle, your uh, air spray, whatever it may be, it will not be recycled, period, in any country in the world.
0: So important.
1: And the second, so that's one challenge, it acts as a contamination. The second challenge is, in and of themselves, they're not recyclable because most lids and most caps and most trigger sprays are made from multiple materials, metals and plastics and fibers all mashed together, and that is not traditionally recyclable. It's only recyclable in a system like TerraCycle that does specialty uh, recycling. And again, so you know, look for the products that don't have these things, or if you do, make sure to remove them. And it's really important as consumers to get educated on how do you recycle? Because again, just by putting it in the recycling bin doesn't really mean anything.
0: Right. Uh, I'm, I, I want to sort of circle back for a minute to the coffee pods, because coffee pods are just, just an enormous issue out there. And they've had vast growth over the past few years as a category in supermarkets. And they really do provide A pretty high standard of coffee for people in the home who don't want to become a complete barista in their own right so um, and if I look at my own life it's one of the things that I use that really bugs me because I feel like I'm trying so hard in so many areas to get it right but these damn coffee pods are there I don't know the next thing to do as just as a shopper in my own right, I don't know the next thing to do. I've got a bunch of coffee pods in the kitchen. What the heck do I do with those things next time that that is the better way to
1: behave? Yes, absolutely. So look, first in the coffee uh, capsule or coffee pod category, Um, At TerraCycle, we run free recycling programs for coffee pods in, I think, now 12 countries. So it it may be that you're in a country where we operate a free program. You should definitely go to our website at TerraCycle.com and see if there is one and use it. And then you can get all those coffee pods recycled at no cost. Alternatively... Um, in some cases, the coffee companies will try to run these programs themselves. Uh, Nespresso does that themselves in uh, Europe. We manage their program for them in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the U.S., but in Europe, they run it themselves. So th- that's another option if you're in the European marketplace to check their program. And then then if there isn't a program uh, for your brand of coffee capsules in your uh, country, then contact the coffee capsule company on their Facebook page and social media Alerting them to your, uh, you know, to your point of view that you're unhappy about the waste and keep putting pressure on them to create some form of take back program because it, the, the technology is out there. It does exist. It's every coffee capsule company has the choice to be able to collect and recycle their coffee capsules or uh, tea pods. It's just whether they want to pay the bill. And they will pay the bill if you decide as a consumer to put pressure on them.
0: What's being done with them?
1: What are they used for? So the way those get recycled is we shred them. We separate the uh, uh, metal, uh, which is typically aluminum, uh, uh, from, the gla- sorry, from the plastic and the paper and the organics. Those are the four potential uh, pieces that come out. The aluminums are melted into new aluminum. The uh, plastics are also recycled. And the organic, which is typically coffee, milk, or tea, is then composted. And 100% of it ends up in a circular uh, uh, solution.
0: So people don't need to... Excuse me. People don't need to remove the coffee from inside those little pods when they're recycling. No.
1: They can just recycle the
0: whole pod. They can put it into that process.
1: Absolutely. And it has to be like that because it would be um, really, uh, you know, like a coffee capsule or a coffee pot is a convenience product. You buy it because you don't want to grind your coffee and do the whole barista thing, as you mentioned, um, which is quite complicated. So you can't expect a convenience consumer to then spend 10 times more time taking these suckers apart. They won't do it. They won't do it. (laughs) They won't. Absolutely won't. And B, it's not even easy to do so. Uh, and if it's an aluminum one, it may not even be safe. So the recycling programs have to be able to handle them the way they are.
0: So there's definitely a communications gap going on here, Tom, because it just looking at that single ca- important category, there's not a lot of communications out there that for people in terms of what to do with all these coffee pods. Yet the coffee pods are selling like hotcakes. So... Uh, Really, the, uh, it would seem to me that the coffee pod companies and even Nespresso are not really adequately communicating to people
1: that there are options at the moment. Well, they're, they're not because, you know, companies want to stay away from the waste issue consciously. What they would like to do uh, uh, is they would hope that you don't have a concern and they don't have to deal with it and they can just keep doing business as normal or as usual. The, when consumers put pressure on uh, the companies is when the companies start changing uh, and start uh, bringing out uh, programs or partnering with companies like TerraCycle to create solutions and they do that only when there's consumer pressure because it costs money to do so. Uh, And so uh, that's why it's very important for the consumer to understand just how powerful they are either by applying pressure through social media like Facebook and Twitter and uh, and other mediums or just their customer service line or the most aggressive form of pressure, which is don't buy the product until it's recyclable.
0: I just want to say there that uh, I'm on a bit of a mission lately about the, the home brands that are owned by supermarkets, which often don't have any point of contact. They're kind of cardboard cutout brands, don't have a system of people managing the brand behind them. And so when people buy a brand that is just a home brand that doesn't have a Facebook page or any social media presence, and often doesn't even have a phone number or an email address that you could reach, that now you're dealing with an entity that is not giving you the opportunity to influence what they're doing. And so I encourage people to stay away from brands that they can't influence and to, uh, as a very first step, shift whatever you're purchasing to a brand you can influence. Nespresso would be a great uh, example there. I can definitely influence Nespresso. It's a bit harder to influence a brand, say, from Aldi, because Aldi tend not to give you brand-specific contact points and so that's one of the reasons why you're paying cheaper prices at Aldi than you are in Some of the mainstream supermarkets, but I really want to make sure that we could create this connection point because it's all the disconnects in the system that are allowing these problems to uh, become pervasive
1: That's exactly right, you know, and it boils down to what you just said, which is consumers voting for the things that do give transparency, that do allow you to know where it's made from and allow you to communicate with the company. And shame on the consumer if the consumer is voting ignorantly. That would be equivalent to going in and actually voting in an election blindly. Because when you vote, when you spend money, you are voting with not just a pen and a piece of paper, but hard-earned money. And you're voting it in a very specific direction. So you can't not engage. The only way to not engage is to not shop which is actually a wonderful idea.
0: Yes, it is a wonderful idea. I'm still thinking, and I'm going to stay with the coffee pods because it's an example. So I'm still thinking now, I'm a a home keeper. I've got my own home here and I've uh, got coffee pods. Actually, I've got coffee pods that went into my uh, garbage in the last hour that will end up in landfill because I don't know the next step for dealing with those coffee pods. So if, depending on where I am, uh, what's my next, my next step in finding out what to deal with it? Do I just contact the, the company or, uh, can I actually go to the TerraCycle website and look to see if there is a program in place?
1: Absolutely. Um, TerraCycle runs coffee capsule recycling programs in Canada, the U.S. Uh, We'll be launching some soon in Latin America, in Australia, New Zealand, in most of Europe, uh, and soon in Japan. So if you're in any of those countries, you just go to the TerraCycle website. You can go to TerraCycle.com and then from there, choose your country. And uh, absolutely, you can use one of our free or paid programs to recycle your coffee capsules in that way. Alternatively, Go to the company who made your coffee capsule, go to their website and see if they have some section, they usually do, on their website explaining if the product is recyclable or not. And usually if it is recyclable, then it's through a system like TerraCycle or something else. We we don't know, the only two that I'm aware of is the uh, Nespresso running their own uh, coffee system or coffee capsule recycling system in Europe, which is a wonderful uh, example, and then the ones TerraCycle run. I'm personally not aware of any others, uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't. And a good way to do it is check the uh, website of the brand.
0: Now, the packaging that's really a problem, and, and coffee pods is an example, the pouches, uh, the the yogurt pouches, baby food and juice pouches, this is another example. It's these very compli- complicated and complex forms of packaging that really need to be specifically separated out from all of the rest of the garbage that... That we have so as that they don't go in the landfill and that they're not actually going into your regular uh, recycling bin. So they need a special process. What does that process look like for the homeowner? Are they going to have to take that? to a, a depot somewhere I know in Canada, for instance, the, uh, you know, a lot of Canadian homes make a, a monthly trip or, a, a, you know, a fortnightly trip to the bottle depot to drop off all their bottles. Is there some kind of a process that takes place like that, where in fact, you start collecting, uh, identifying the specialty packaging that is coming into your hu- household, separating it out and going to some kind of a centralized depot to drop it off?
1: Well, so with TerraCycle at least, it all depends on the program. We have certain programs around the world where we simply give you a shipping label and you send in your waste directly from home or uh, your place of work. That's one option. Uh, We call those programs our brigade programs or our national recycling programs. We also have ones where you take it to a retailer. Today 70,000 retailers around the world have TerraCycle collection points uh, for various things from three ring binders to those coffee capsules. And uh, you could go to our website, find those and take it there. Um, we also have programs where uh, you take the waste to a council uh, or municipal recycling point, and you may see a large, massive TerraCycle bin there for various waste streams. So, you know, And we even have programs that are on the city uh, more, more for cigarette recycling, where um, you know, on every light pole in many cities, I think now about 36 to 40 cities around the, uh, around the world, like New Orleans or uh, 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 Los Angeles, Vancouver, you can see on their light poles every 10 meters a cigarette recycling point and you just put your cigarettes in there uh, and so on. So it all depends, um, but you just go to our website and you pick the waste stream, and then it'll tell you all the different options you have on that waste stream.
0: Excuse me. Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. I love, 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 love the idea of supermarkets becoming a collection point specifically for some of these really difficult products Uh, that uh, need specialty recycling processes. I think that the supermarkets themselves, the large brands, have built uh, very cleverly designed uh, networks in terms of uh, convenient locations for shoppers to be able to uh, shop at all sorts of uh, times and um, in all sorts of places for their groceries. Wouldn't it be great if you could also take some of that specialty waste back to a a collection point that's also located at that
1: supermarket. Absolutely. And, you know, we do this with many different supermarkets already for various waste streams because what they like about it is that it drives consumer loyalty. People come back to the supermarket to return that waste. And once they're there, they'll, of course, do their shopping there versus uh, a different supermarket.
0: The feel-good factor has got to be huge, huge, because so many of us have a growing sense of guilt. Every time we take the garbage out and drop it in the bin, we think, oh my God, look at all the garbage we're producing. Of course, a lot of uh, goods that we buy are terribly overpackaged in the first place. But in fact, if we could take some of those things back to a centralized recycling point, I think we'd have a a massive feel good effect. I also wanna just say that um, uh, I wanna just come back and and hone in a little bit on this other program that TerraCycle has, because I think it's brilliant, which is where you can actually send your garbage into TerraCycle. Can you just unpack a little bit about what goes on there?
1: Yeah, what happens is uh, these are more our brand-funded programs, or we have these free programs uh, where you can go to our websites around the world, join them. Uh, each program is for a different type of waste stream, funded by typically a major consumer product company uh, that makes that type of product, whether it's a Bic for pens or uh, Colgate for uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste tubes or L'Oreal for cosmetics. Um, you simply take a box, you fill it up typically with any brand of that category, uh, and then once the box is full, you download a free shipping label from our website and send in the box. Um, That goes to a local warehouse uh, in that country. Uh, In some cases, we have uh, one warehouse per country or in some cases more. And then uh, we check it in, open up the box, typically give you actually a small donation for every piece of waste you uh, collected uh, to a school or charity of your choice. And then we take what's inside and uh, either reuse it, upcycle it or recycle it depending on uh, what it is. So clothing and electronics get reused. Things like uh, flexible packaging is very easy to upcycle. And uh, the majority of the volume that we collect is uh, recycled, where we shred it apart and recover the materials.
0: So are those programs brand-specific or are they category-specific? So, for instance, uh, if you're talking about pens, uh, would it only be big pens that you could put into the box, for instance, or would it be any brand of pen?
1: So it depends on the program. Uh, Usually small brands with smaller budgets Uh, 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 only will collect their brand because they they just don't have as much capital uh, to deploy. Uh, But larger brands uh, tend to collect the entire category of a waste stream, uh, which means that, you know, you can be collecting in the L'Oreal program any brand of cosmetic waste.
0: That's a good bit of marketing spend for them. I think there's a lot of brand equity to be built. There's a lot of loyalty to be built if the brand can be seen to be collecting everybody's garbage in that category and helping to do something positive with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, you know, they even get a lot of credit from consumers when they show that they collect any brand because it makes it seem, you know, that they really are caring about the environment, not just from a marketing point of view. And that's actually the case. So, you know, there's a lot of value in unlocking uh, that uh, uh, the ability to go beyond just a marketing program and make it a fundamental recycling uh, platform.
0: Now, I work with a variety of brands, uh, some of which. M- certainly make the renewable claim, and there's a lot of, a lot of people uh, get very confused about what the various c- claims are that appear on products because you have renewable, you have sustainable, you have biodegradable, there's a whole bunch of things. And, and generally, uh, from a, a shopper standpoint or a customer standpoint, they all stand in for one another and just give them a, a, a feel-good halo Uh, without necessarily advising them of what specifically to do but I'm thinking of brands that I've worked with over the years where we've sat at the table and you know we've been able to make the the packaging of the product renewable for instance but we know we can't make it biodegradable. Uh, Is it possible for little brands like that to reach out to a a company like TerraCycle and say, look, we would like to start a program with you for the people who are buying our products?
1: Yes, the answer is absolutely. And we do that quite a bit. We'd encourage any brand, uh, small or large, that has non-recyclable packaging to contact us. uh, And we'll absolutely set up a program for them that's scaled to their, uh, you know, to their business uh, size, you know, so they're different programs uh, that accomplish different goals and have different budgets against them. Now, I want to mention something. You mentioned biodegradable. Um, biodegradable is one of the most uh, misunderstood packaging forms out there, and in fact, is laden with issues. Um, just to give you some of the big ones, uh, and it, because of these issues that I'm going to mention, a lot of the major consumer product companies have put out mandates that they will never release a biodegradable package. Um, So the first issue with biodegradable packaging is there is no infrastructure that wants it. Um, So can a a, a package uh, biodegrade? Yes, technically it can, uh, but typically only in industrial composting situations where the compost uh, system is very hot and uh, quite industrial. Now, uh, an interesting story around this is the city of San Francisco. San Francisco was one of the first cities to mandate that uh, all of the festivals in the city must use biodegradable packaging. Only to find out that the composters who then get the biodegradable packaging don't want it. And today, San Francisco is struggling because the actual infrastructure that they are hoping will biodegrade the biodegradable packaging doesn't want it. They view it as a contaminant. Why is that? that Yeah, yeah, the the reason that a, a, a composter views biodegradable material as a contaminant is this metaphor. You could eat a, if you had the choice of eating a beautiful apple, which is filled with nutrition, or eating some cardboard, which one would you choose? Obviously, choose the apple. You could eat the cardboard, it will go through your digestive system, and it would even probably come out as poop at the end, but you're going to get nothing from it, no energy, uh, and it would, uh, it would just technically be digestible, but it wouldn't be something you would prefer to digest. And that's exactly the problem for composters. Composters want to make a great product, a great high quality compost. And biodegradable packaging makes Horrible compost. It will degrade, but it's not like a banana peel or coffee grounds or tree leaves or uh, or um, grass clippings that are filled with complex biology, uh, you know, micro macro nutrients, uh, uh, all sorts of bacteria, and so on. It's effectively like eating cardboard, and because of that, um, composters absolutely hate it because because uh, it 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 contaminates uh, the compost in a very big way. Now, even if that wasn't an issue. Now, let me just preface that it is a massive issue, but right. let's just say for sake of argument that wasn't an issue. From, an, from a cheer life cycle perspective, it makes absolutely no sense to uh, make a, 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 you know take soil, make it into a plant, take that plant and make it into a biodegradable polymer only so that it goes back to something worse than soil. It would be significantly, significantly more uh, advantageous to... Take soil, make it into a plant and make that plant into durable, not biodegradable, but durable uh, plastic so that it can go around the circle multiple times as durable plastic.
0: I want to just jump in there, Tom, and just say that one of the big issues we've got, and we certainly we talk about the gyres out in the ocean where we've got all the plastics uh, floating around in, you know, famously the area the size of Texas, out there full of plastics. Those plastics are breaking down, but they're going into they're going into the ecology as very minute plastic. Uh, uh, molecules that now are very difficult to get out of the ecosystem. So they're damaging the, the ocean life and ultimately they're coming back and damaging us because they they appear to have biodegraded, but they really haven't. They haven't gone back to something natural and safe.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. And they won't. You know, uh, plastics will photodegrade, uh, which is the process you're describing. will keep going into smaller and smaller particle sizes and that's a horrible thing. And yes, on the surface, biodegradable packaging is better on that regard, but you have to peel below the surface and and ask, where does all the ocean plastic come from? And that it typically tends to come from countries that are underdeveloped and don't have, uh, or developing, and don't have proper waste management infrastructure to be able to properly collect and landfill or incinerate uh, or recycle uh, their waste. Um, Ironically, where biodegradable packaging is really uh, becoming popular is not in those countries where it actually may have some logic, but in the highly developed countries like the United States and Western Europe, Australia, um, uh, where uh, you are, you know, where you don't really generate ocean plastic because there's really good capture of uh, waste, and uh, where you have these other issues that I just uh, described, um, and so. The the most important thing here is marketing should not be leading the decision on whether a package becomes biodegradable or not.
0: Marketing is leading that decision in most cases, and that's a huge issue. Marketers actually need to be trained. In this area and they need to understand that the biodegradable call-out on packaging is not the optimum call-out however we also need to speak to the shoppers who are in the stores and get them to understand that biodegradability is not their optimum solution.
1: You're, you're absolutely right and that's exactly you just hit hit the nail on the head that's exactly what uh, uh, everyone needs to be looking at.
0: Right because I'm taking the call In uh, and have done so for a long time on what can go into the packaging. So if biodegradable. if biodegradability looks like that's what's being demanded out there by the shoppers, then it's very, very hard for marketers to sell that into the company. Marketers actually need people to complain. It, a lot of people think that marketers don't want complaints coming in to their brands. That's not true. A lot of marketers want to be able to make better decisions and to advise companies to take better decisions, but they need to, to be able to show that there are people out there who care and people who want to see the changes. Then the marketers are actually uh, armed when they go into the meetings to say, you know, it's not, it's not biodegradability. There's more of a communications thing here. Actually, what happens to the packaging needs its own communications uh, strategy so that we can educate people about what happens when they buy our packaging that we don't just wash our hands of the packaging uh, once it leaves our factory
1: you're you are absolutely right you know the, uh, the there is much need of education because right now good intentioned people are, in many cases, making some pretty horrific decisions.
0: But the the terminology sounds so good, Tom.
1: That's the problem, (laughs) yeah. The terminology sounds great.
0: There's
1: no, you know, know, uh, there's that famous saying of if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Or when it sounds too good to be true, it typically is. And that's exactly the case for biodegradable.
0: What's the call out that, that, you know, I'm I'm looking at various... uh, various kinds of packaging um you know you've got the traditional ones that people are putting into their recycling recycling bin uh so you know those are cardboard boxes they're milk bottles they're glass bottles uh but they're not uh, actually laminated boxes are not going to go in there are they um well. so what are the call outs that that what's the thing that that shoppers need to be looking for on the product that enlightens them as to whether or not it's truly uh, going to be handled in a sustainable way.
1: It's really simple. The number one thing consumers should look at is uh, buying things that don't have packaging uh, or have very little packaging. That's the easiest. And then you don't have to worry about the package is. If it doesn't exist, you're totally good to go, like buying fresh carrots or fresh lettuce. Um, The next thing is if you do buy packaged goods, buy those that are easily recyclable. Many goods will have a statement on it that says nationally recyclable. Um, I would caution on goods that say recyclable where it exists. That usually means that it's very limited, the recycling capability on it. Um, And if there's no such message or no logo like a TerraCycle logo explaining that it can be recycled through a specialty system, then really consider not buying that product.
0: Right. Uh, where, where do you stand on the uh, plastic bags that, and I'm uh, not just thinking about the plastic bags that people are putting their groceries into uh, at, when they go through the checkout. I'm very much looking at the plastic bags that are in the fruit and vegetable section, because, you know, we're sending people to the fruit and vegetable section, but that's a big plastic bag process.
1: It absolutely is. And uh, flexible packaging, is very challenging. Uh, uh, there is no uh, real big recycling platforms for it. So it's another great example of something ideally to stay away from if at all possible. So bring your own reusable bag or you know, uh, don't put your fruits and vegetables in those thin little plastic bags you know, uh, uh, for weighing purposes. People will weigh them just fine without that. Um, the, you know, Really edit your shopping as much as you can. And then when you can't, put pressure on the companies to try to somehow solve it. Because, again, all these plastic packages are recyclable. It just costs more to collect and process than they're worth. And that's where, you know, companies like TerraCycle come in to try to create solutions. But that only really happens when consumers put the right pressure on the companies.
0: Right. I think there's I think, you know, from a a shopping perspective, even if a person has to go into a supermarket, they can kind of take a bit of a, a market sort of a even though they're in a supermarket, they can take a, a more of a, a market perspective. They can put one of the little baskets into the into their um, shopping cart and they can load, you know, carrots and some apples and the garlic or whatever else they're buying in there and make a little nice little fruit and vegetable basket that's sitting within their actually sitting within their shopping cart and then those things can can go through the checkout without having any plastic bag and be loaded into the bag that you brought with you so that in fact we could start to train people to understand that maybe you don't need to bag those things at all and feel a bit like you went to a farm and came home with a big you know a big hessian bag full of lots of loose fruit and vegetables.
1: I think absolutely. Why not? You know, it's, uh, it's in a way returning to the way things used to be. Um, I think it's something to really seriously consider.
0: I do want to ask you about the... Um uh, what's got, what happens with some of the stuff that's being recycled? Because, uh, I, I and we touched on this a little bit earlier with the coffee pods, I'm going back to, because uh, I see that TerraCycle is producing uh, various um, products that are being made, like backpacks, I think being made out of things like the pouches. So those things are going up for reuse. But, but what's happening there? So they're being made in uh, complex Um, packaging is being turned into other complex uh, complex products. But what what does the life cycle of that product look like? What happens at the end of its life cycle? Well,
1: it it, it all depends on on the recycler. You know, with TerraCycle, we take back anything that we produce. You can put it right back into the same collection, and it will go around uh, again and and again, as long as the consumer chooses to do so. In some cases, uh, if it's a more typical recycler, uh, the material may have one chance. Uh, in other words, it's recycled once and then there's no chance to recycle it again. And in some cases, the product is made in, uh, in a way that it can be put back in the recycling system again. This really has to do with the recycler and it has to do with what the material is. So, But either way, whether it only goes around once more or whether it goes around many times more, it's every time avoiding new materials being extracted from the earth. And the real thing, the, the number one creator of environmental harm is extracting materials from the earth. So the more we can avoid that, the better.
0: Right. Um, I I also would like to say that I think one of the great things that you're doing, and particularly in the developing nations as a company, is you're starting to put a value on more and more garbage so that the garbage in uh, the developing nations is something that people can actually make a bit of money on.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. What we do is in countries like Brazil, uh, we try to create economies uh, with the uh, waste pickers uh, for waste streams that they didn't have economies on before exactly to facilitate the ability to have more waste collected, and that waste picking culture is something that is unique uh, to these forms of markets, so it's a great thing to be able to uh, bring that out in those regions and then ideally expand from there.
0: What happens to the garbage that they're collecting, Tom? Is it sent to a, a place in their own country or is it sent to some other centralized place and then turned into other products?
1: Uh, it's uh, uh, it, uh, Typically, the uh, waste we collect, the TerraCycle in a country, stays in that country, unless the country doesn't have the local technology uh, that we need to be able to process it, then we may move it to a neighboring country, but that's about as far as we would ever create a movement.
0: Right. And you've had tremendous uptake, haven't you? you uh, some of the interviews I've seen with you, uh, you're talking about the phenomenal growth that you've experienced when you've launched these programs into specifically nations like Brazil.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, TerraCycle today uh, operates in uh, twenty countries around the world, and we're launching in China, India, South Korea, Taiwan, in the coming uh, year, and a bit. So um, exciting only- to hear that! <laughs> yeah, no, we're very pumped about it. Uh, China's becoming going to become our next market, and uh, and then the others. And uh, you know, we've we've only experienced growth for thirteen years. Knock on wood, you know, continues uh, uh, like that. Um, uh, uh, but so far, you know, there's a lot of interest from consumers. And corporations, big grocery stores, or big retailers, as well as big uh, consumer product companies and small ones too, to be able to create a solution to these uh, waste streams.
0: Actually, it's one of the reasons I really want people to support companies like TerraCycle is this kind of activity because it's not just focused in the developed nations. It's not just focused on the first world problems. It's focused on all of those issues right through nations where there really aren't recycling programs that have been instituted. governments and unless the private sector comes in and does that in a way where you do where you create a market for garbage, the garbage will just build up until uh, I guess the system collapses.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. And uh, it'd be great to avoid that because that happening is a really unpleasant experience for everyone, uh, animals, plants, and humans all together.
0: Just sort of draw this conversation to a close uh, now. I just wondered if there was some, uh, first of all, if there's anything uh, really pertinent that you think that I may have not touched on in this conversation, and and maybe if there's a sort of a thought or a piece of advice that you could leave us for sort of the three main groups of people that we want to be listening to this which is shoppers brand owners and
1: retailers so I think look first start with shoppers the number one thing is vote with your dollar and really treat that vote like a sacred vote which it is whether you believe it or not it's a very very important vote and then look for products that are recyclable and demand recycling uh, for those products that are not yet recyclable and you will see change for retailers realize that if you engage in these forms of things you're going to your brand will grow in a very positive way and you're going to drive great foot traffic all the things that you're looking for in a very classic context and finally for brand owners it's The number one thing consumers look for on packages today, if you look at every environmental statement from biodegradable to compostable to made with certified fibers, all the different things, recyclable always comes to the very, very top Uh, and uh, leverage that because you can gain a lot of value from it.
0: I'd I'd add to that that I'd really like brand owners to reach out to companies like TerraCycle just so they can understand the call outs and the uh, messaging that needs to go on the packaging that they're producing so that they can begin to bring their packaging into alignment with a system that is minimizing
1: the damage. I think I could agree with you more.
0: And um, so is there anything in your mind that you feel like I should have touched on in this conversation to just sort of begin to enlighten people in terms of uh, recycling?
1: No, it was a great conversation. I really appreciate your time.
0: Tom, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's uh, actually, you've enlightened me on a a number of areas, and I'm a person who generally pays attention. So uh, thank you very, very much.
1: I absolutely appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank
0: you. I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. And this is Reinventing the Supermarket. is Reinventing the Supermarket.